Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. At the end of season 2017-18, we demanded to know from you which of our big interviews you most enjoyed. And the winner is... We're on the coach and I can remember sitting there and thinking, okay, that's George Weir. <laughs> Just sort of sitting there with his headphones on. The week he left, we played Bradford at home, and Joe put George on the bench and started me, and I think George thought, and Dick was playing ahead of me, I've gone. <laughs> but what a brilliant, brilliant guy. In second place, we had... I was by the Rocky Balboa. One of my best meetings, I thought, um, was with um, Dortmund before we played a game against Bayern Munich, and I spoke about Rocky four. Ivan Drago, so of course Bayern was Ivan Drago having everything, mm. all technology, and yeah. we, are, we are Rocky Balboa <laughs> with all these old-fashioned uh, tools and, 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 and stuff like that. And after three, four minutes, I was really on fire, <laughs> and I, I see I look really in dead eyes, and I said, okay, stop. Who knows Rocky? <laughs> and only two players showed up. Said, okay, but, uh, we have to start again. And the bronze medal position goes to this guy. For me, David Gea is the best because I think he has something that comes from God. God chose him in the goal and God chose Messi on the pitch. You cannot train what he did against Kun Agüero when he had the ball two metres from him and he put the hand out. You cannot train it. So he has some special abilities that I think he hasn't trained them. You just have Hello and welcome to another episode of the big interview at the World Cup and my goodness it's getting exciting. This is our second quarterfinal show uh, so we're going to be talking about Croatia versus Russia very soon but right now it looks very much like football's coming home. We've just watched England defeat Sweden two goals to nil. Graham Hunter could it be happening? Yeah look if football coming home means anything, rather than the trophy coming home, because I haven't seen enough today to say that England are going to win the semi-final or the final. I just haven't. Impossible? No. Um, but for years I've said I wanted to be able to enjoy England playing football. I wanted to see yeah. intelligence rather than stupidity. I wanted to see no more, um, oh, we've thrown it all away. If you're Scott and you have to live through that every time the national team goes anywhere important... You don't want to have to see it in another national power over and over and over again. It became tiresome. And the one thing I will say before I let you back in again then is I've, I've hugely enjoyed that game. It was a very Premier League game. It, doesn't, it didn't touch the quality of Brazil and Belgium. It reminded me of your opening statement about the way France dealt with their quarterfinal against Uruguay. I thought there were so many similarities in attitude, precision, game plan, one rival, albeit that the Swedes made three superb goal chances. One rival knowing as they were coming up short that they were going to come up short. And therefore, I've enjoyed the game, but football coming home in terms of the World Cup being back in London on the 17th of July? Nah. Okay, look, uh, something interested me. First of all, 
I've got written down here exactly as you just said. That that game reminded me so much of France 2 Uruguay nil from yesterday. It, there were so many similarities in the way it panned out and the mentality of those two teams, which bodes well for England. If you remember the quotes from Pogba and Giroud after that game, where their eyes were already casting far beyond the quarterfinal that they just won. But something else that really interested me ties up with British sporting success in cycling and tennis with Andy Murray, and that's the concept of marginal gains, areas of their particular sport where teams or players can see a way to maximise outcomes by changing something that's very achievable and doesn't necessarily rely on the gold dust of talent. And with England, it's undoubtedly set pieces. They're they're steamrolling through this tournament on the back of free kicks and corners, it appears. This has been remarked upon almost from the beginning of the tournament. But I'm really interested in, in your take on what you're seeing and the source of the improvement as well, because... It is a Scotsman, um, the strikers coach, Alan Russell, former Airdrie player, amongst others, Kilmarnock, Partick Thistle, and latterly in America, the mighty Carolina Railhawks and the, the, the really big guns, the Orange County Blues. After his playing career, Alan noticed a gap in the market, which was the, spe- the idea of specialist coaching that's so common in US sports, in particular NFL, He didn't think that that was replicated professionally at the top level of the game in England. Marketed himself as such, and having worked with Steve Holland, Gareth Southgate's assistant at Chelsea, he then hooked up with him again in the England setup and has been credited by the players and the manager, Gareth Southgate, as being behind these orchestrated set-piece plays that seem to be coming off time and time and time again. I'm thrilled with detail. Um, I think that the... Advancement of intelligence and the advancement of practice and the advancement of um, having a, a clear vision and then players intelligent enough to apply that clear vision is something that's always thrilled me. Um, I, I know that this isn't what you were fishing for, but I'm a little bit proud in that if this is where we've come to, because as a younger um, reporter, I remember leaving the European Championships when football was coming home for the first time in 1996. Um, Scotland having beaten Switzerland but having gone out because of Patrick Clivert's goal um, for Holland and therefore going out of yet another tournament on goal difference because we didn't have the edge. The What did you talk about giving a, giving yourself a competitive edge? I, I, as I think that Russell and Southgate and Holland talk about maximising um, opponents' weaknesses, maximising your own strength. It seemed to me back in 1996, as I wrote my article, essential that while we had good players... This idea of not being able to convert enough goal chances stemming right back to my first memory of Scotland at World Cup in 74 when they only beat Zaire 3-0 instead of the 7 or 8-0 that they should have done. What I advocated was, why isn't there a specialist striker coach? So that the guys who are very good maximise their strengths and the guys who maybe do the running and the supporting but don't have such a prolific rate are turned on to being able to add, you know, whether it's 10 a season or to a tournament, at any rate, apparently Alan Russell has not only taken that idea but made it um, Scotland's contribution to England's part in the semi-final. So between Holland and Scotland, neither of them made the tournament well done. I think that you can apply what Roberto Martinez said after the Brazil game to your question. Now, I think, I mean, shoot me down if you don't agree, but he said, look, I've never lost a game on the tactics board. I've never lost a game strategically before the game kicked off. 
it's always the players who must act it out. It's always about the application of the strategy. Now, in the instance of set plays, I'll tell you maybe what you're also fishing for is you know that during the reign of Luis Enrique, which started controversially at Football Club Barcelona for the first four or five months and then erupted into one of, including the Guardiola years, the best five-month period of football I've ever seen. And, and a, a linchpin of that side was that they became massively better defensively um, when facing throw-ins, free kicks or corner kicks. And also they took them better. So there were a number of different strategies planned to cope with the ball, and some of which was pretty basic, Neil. And if you look at the first goal that England score, Harry Kane saying to Maguire, this is the run I'm making, therefore you temper your run based on what I'm going to do. I'm going to drag players away. The ball is coming to pretty much the penalty spot. I'm going to make the run to take one or two with me. These, these are not, that's not rocket science. What you learn about groups of players is that because they're so disparate, because they've got so many different ideas, because there's so many egos involved, unless you trammel them, and it's not about suppressing them, it's about saying, here are the guidelines. So, for example, Luis Suarez, if you're a terrific um, header of the ball, defensively, we'll place you at the front lateral part of the six-yard box. And time and time again, anybody who's watched La Liga will see Luis Suarez having the first header from a, a defending corner. Because that you know, don't clear the, if you don't clear the first man, it's a, it's a cardinal sin. Barcelona defend that area where the front post can be a weakness with the, one of their best headers of the ball. Now, Maguire and Stones are extremely good headers of the ball and they're extremely good at attacking the ball. But you can see a level of conviction, which, again, this relates to the penalty-taking argument. It isn't simply that they know that they're good in the air. They know what the movement's going to be. They know about the delivery, which is principally from Ashley Young. They've practised it sufficiently that even in moments of high tension or high confusion in the penalty area, and the referees have helped England. I don't think that's in any way arguable, and I don't mean that in a euphemistic way. The fact that there has begun to be a coming to terms with the grappling and the holding that defenders thought they could get away with and that now any defender who's thinking I'd rather not give away a penalty I'd rather not be yellow or red carded that aids attacking free kicks attacking corners it just obviously does so there's a coming together of many elements one Southgate believes in detail two Russell would appear to be talented in the organization area that uh, Juan Carlos Unzue did for Luis Enrique at Football Club Barcelona. Three, it's really important that um, referees are clearing away for attacking players to make a run, if not uninhibited, then, then less held back than previously. And whether you look at Kane or Stones or Maguire, and there are others, England have got a crop of players who really enjoy hitting the ball, both defensively and offensively. And when things come together, sometimes you get bonuses. Fundamentally, it comes down to execution. The, you know, the, there's an element of creativity, I think, in the way that some of their set pieces have been designed. I agree with you that some of them aren't complicated, but some of them are. But the, the key to the execution is the initial delivery. And yes, it's actually young, but increasingly with England, it's Trippier as well. And I mean, he, he was another player who had a huge game today. Yeah, when, when I talk about enjoying England play, it's, it's watching his absolute and complete happiness on the ball. So Pickford is chosen probably because already he's the top of the pile in terms of 
goalkeeping form and ability and reliability and likability. And there's clearly something between him and his back three or his back five. But he's another one. There's a, a new Alan Russell story in that one of his teachers at school was a Scot. And Pickford always played outfield. I mean, never played for his school team in goals, which is, you know, if not miraculous, it's a little bit strange for a goalkeeper who's a Premier League millionaire now and is in a World Cup semi-final. But what has come from that is that he's a very, very good distributor of the ball. And not simply that he's accurate. He makes a lot of really good choices. And one of his premium go-to balls is to Trippier. And Trippier is showing for it, can control it, thigh, um, boot, chest a lot, takes it on the run, makes good choices with what he does with it. It's infamous that he's modelled himself on David Beckham. It's infamous that he came through the City Academy where long prior to any trace of Pep Guardiola, long prior to that, he was encouraged to stay behind and do extra practice. And he wanted to. And you see in him now, this guy, and, and a friend of the podcast, David Priest, called this way back in 2013, that here five years ago was a Premier League player in the making, very easily a Premier League player in the making. And his development has been aided by the fact that Pochettino didn't, didn't like things about Kyle Walker. Partially his body shape and his body weight and his body fat. Pochettino is ultra strict, didn't feel that Kyle Walker was with the programme, irrespective of his pace and his power and the fact that he is an attacking weapon when he's played right wing back or right back as he, before this tournament, said he'd prefer to be playing. And therefore, two things have happened. One, England have now got this partnership between Walker and Trippier who know each other well, like each other well from Spurs days. And instead of competing for a place, they're playing alongside each other. In a team where Southgate is asking them to manage the games, manage the ball, one, you've got that communication. Two, you've got that knowledge of how and when to pass to each other. But you've got a little honeycomb of partnerships. Pick for to Trippier. You mentioned Deli Alley to Kane, but I'd like to pick out Henderson to Sterling. And you can repeat that, I think, quite a, quite a degree throughout the team. And it, it was immediately noticeable when Rashford came on and his link up with Jesse Lingard. These things are the, the tensile strength of a team that can do things. It's where you get extra. It's where you get the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. And without, you know, I state again, I didn't see enough today to say that England will win the World Cup. I think that unless um, Croatia, Belgium or France have a very difficult day, a very off night, you know, ostensibly given form and talent and experience and how far further forward they are in their project, you know, I think they're a better side than England still to this day. However, um, those partnerships are immensely important to me. And Trippier, had it not been for Pickford's brilliance, Neil, Trippier would have been my choice easily as England's man of the match. Also, the, not just the way he shows for the ball, but the calm way in which he uses it. That, it's not simply that instant of how you use it, but what you're telling all the other players in moments of trial or stress. And giving Pickford an opportunity to find Trippier again and again. I, I find little things like that a joy in the England performance. Yeah, Pickford's use of the ball is fantastic. But let's talk in the last segment of this first quarterfinal about his bread and butter work between the sticks. Given the superiority that England enjoyed throughout this game, given their value um, of that 2-0 win, 
the similarities that we've mentioned between their win and that of France yesterday, still he keeps out three efforts on goal that change the complexion of that game if they go in. Pickford's saves are, are, are fabulous. Yeah, there's no way around it. Okay, so let's run through them. Well, f- the first thing to say is that all I've been asking is that technically England get better and you can see that the FA have invested a lot of time and the clubs in their younger generations playing a different brand of football than we saw in the generation of Lampard and Gerrard and Beckham and Scholes and Rio Ferdinand. Times when you'd have said these twice now maybe these generations of England players should be capable of going a very long way in a tournament and maybe competing to win one and instead what we got was repeated inability to conserve the ball repeated inability to cope with um, decision making in the heat where your energy drains and repeated inability to form something that was greater than the sum of the parts now it's different in this one and what you saw in the previous England, I'm afraid, was dips in concentration, crucial moments maybe after a goal, or losing one then losing two, giving away penalties, giving away red cards. And I, and I use that as a backdrop to Pickford's first really big save because his first half is good, it's competent, it's definitely on programme. But they come back out, Sweden have not just given themselves a good talking to, Sweden are going, ah, we know England. They'll be cocky, they'll be confident, they're 1-0 up, we'll catch them cold. The ball into Berg is lovely, it shouldn't have had so much freedom of delivery. Berg out jumps Ashley Young and it's a goal because the connection is so good, it's going bottom left and it's it's an extraordinary save. I think it ranks with Joris the day before and we said that then that Ugo Joris' save was outright exceptional. So to make that save at that time is crucial. It isn't simply that you don't want to go 1-1, but immediately after halftime, all the phantasms, all the ghosts come back to England, their coaching team, the fans, the, the stadium is silent. Sweden don't just get equal. They get a kind of moral momentum because it's immediately after halftime. Now he doesn't do that. Then the next two are extraordinary because Sweden play... I'd say their best football in the second chance when it's the save from Klassen. And that is a beautiful in from the right layoff from Berg. Klassen taking it on the run. There's not a lot of reaction time to Pickford. It's going to his other side. He's patently somebody who's left hand. There's there's something more about his left hand. He's happier making brilliant saves down to his left, I think, or using his left. This time he has to go the other way, gets down to the right-hand post. It's another very good save. And he's up again immediately. And albeit the fact that Henderson makes a block, you know, a keeper has to do two things in a big save. Either get down and get it strong-armed like he does with Berg's header because you see the action of Pickford pushing it away. He doesn't just get there full stretch. And it's not just strong-armed to make sure that the ball rebounds rather than lying dead. There's a push and that takes it away so there's no chance of a follow-up. But he has to be up again. The other thing a keeper has to do if you don't push it far away with your strong arm is you need to be down, feel the grass and be up again like a rubber ball. And although Henderson has made a really good run to make the block, there is Pickford behind him. There's a double barrier in that chance. And then the one where Berg swivels from across from the uh, left and, and takes a shot, I have to be honest to say... That Pickford's reactions are so much quicker than mine that I thought it had gone over by millimetres. I didn't see that fingernail touch. 
And thanks to the wonders of replays, you see that not only did he touch it, but it's going in. It's patently going in, not the bar. It's going in. And therefore, Pickford's work above and beyond his distribution, his attitude, the confidence he gives, his back three, back five, call it what you will. Um, these, um, these saves were the building stone of England's qualification for the semi-final. And Swedes right now won't be talking about England or how much better they are or how they've changed or Russell or was Deli Alley on or offside for the goal. They'll be talking about it. if it wasn't for Pickford. And that's, that's good for a keeper. He had a huge, huge game. And as a result of that, we'll be talking about England's forthcoming semi-final very shortly. We spoke about England's Scottish set-play coach earlier today. I don't know which Ukrainian Russia have employed, or indeed who from Serbia is coaching Croatia. But yet again, two big set-play goals. Let's go right to the end first. Russia's 2-2 goal, deep into extra time. I have a hunch that and if we talked about England's preparation and their drills, I think that this time we're talking about uh, individual improvisation. When Zagoyev came off the bench, he gave Russia something different, I thought. And that's just a beautiful clip that he puts in for Fernandez's header. It's all about the delivery, right? Well, I, I, look, I agree with lots of things you said. Like, number one, Zagoyev is not only extremely talented, very offensive, very creative one of the most high-level experienced players in the Russian setup, somebody who, had it not been for his injury, would have started every single game and would have given them sure. greater edge, greater front foot. So, you know, I agree with your assessment of the player who delivers the ball. But there's also a nice little stutter run. There's just that little bit of a wait, see, settle. It's becoming a little bit like penalties, where marking schemes, you know, in games where it's tense and tight, not just like... We've got a free hit and a free kick now. People are, are, are working out, the offensive team are looking at marking schemes and going, okay, what do we do here? Now, whether that's built on video analysis of how a team um, defends man-to-man only, zonal only, mix of zonal and man-to-man, whether they think that in some instances a team will automatically rush out and look for offside or will drop deep, all these factors can be fed into the, the mincing machine that is, you know, that is video analysis now. And predictive um, video analysis too, but what, what I at least what my eyes told me was that Zagoev took a little dart at it, just as if to say, "Let me see what they're going to do." And it, it's really funny because one of the maxims that that Chavi used to say in a game was sometimes the best move after you deliver a pass is to stay still. If the game is absolutely frantic, it isn't always the case that you've got to look to make space to remain part of the passing triangle, i.e. whoever's got the ball has two options at least. Sometimes if you stand still, you'll be in a better position because everybody else is running around like, like mad dogs. Well, if you look at Fernandez, as he waits for the ball to be delivered, he doesn't budge, doesn't shift, he's not looking for position, he's watching the ball really closely, he knows where Jaguar wants to put it, and the thing that I saw that I didn't like was that Brozovic, who came on to try and allow Rakitic, who'd been playing in front of the two centre-halves, a la, it, it was just the Busquets role for Barcelona, where the two wing-backs pushed genuinely very high. And Versalico, until he tired and got injured, you know, was delivering a lot of dangerous stuff into the box. He's got this knack 
whether it's a brilliant delivery or whether it looks a scruffy delivery, more often than not, it seems to catch the defence off balance. I'm not quite sure how he does it. And this wasn't, you know, a 9 out of 10 night for him. But you understand why Croatia want, I think, him in particular, uh, high and wide. And you want, to, you want to see him using the ball. So when Brozovic comes on, he's the one that sits and allows Rakitic to move forward close to Modric for the first time in the game, whether you can actually talk of him as a pair in midfield rather than Rakitic having two very specific roles. And he doesn't jump, Neil. I, I just I think that as much as the delivery's good and Fernandez's steering of the ball home past, past Daniel uh, Subasic, you know, there's criticism to be had. And therefore, you know, spoiler, you know, when, when finally it comes the chance for uh, Brozovic to clean his account at the penalty shootout, he will be breathing a, a more giant sigh of relief than almost anybody that he tucked his away. And then the other free kick goal, you mentioned Zagayev, his little fake run to kind of break the defensive system. Something went very badly wrong with Russia's defensive system before Vidirizhin has a chance to head this. It looked to me like old man Agnesevich was left with both Mandzukic and Vida. How much of what Mandzukic does gives Vida the chance to score? Yeah, it's chaos, isn't it? Around him. What I saw is exactly what you described, is that Russia looked totally dishevelled. They looked a little bit surprised. Their marking scheme hadn't worked. I don't know if it was tiredness or a drop in concentration, but it was as, you know, for a team which has shuffled its way to within a couple of penalties of the World Cup semi-final, despite having started with a manager having the worst results rate of any Russian manager ever. And, and everywhere that I was in Russia... People telling me, whether it was people in a technical capacity, journalists, fans, they were like, you know, we've got no chance. Forget about it. And they, they, they'd gone beyond the stage of sort of rubbishing their own team. They, 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 what I encountered in the four or five cities that I went to was complete resignation. So maybe we saw a glimpse of the real Russia in that moment. And Oman Ignacevich, as you said, like he ducks his penalty away beautifully. And you can see his character. And I was certain that I remember him from Spain beating Russia 3-0 in the semi-final of 2008. And lo and behold, I was right. You know, he's been on the scene for such a long time, two years retired as well from the international uh, team. And yet, once again, I, I watched closely to see if throughout the game there was um, tiredness making him uh, pull people down when he should have been jockeying whether there was, you know, a little dip in concentration around the pitch where his mobility should have been an issue. And by and large, there wasn't. His, in this World Cup, speaks of a, a warrior, speaks of a guy of enormous personality and character. And therefore, again for him, spoiler again, although I didn't doubt it, I, I was pretty pleased that he tucked his penalty away. And what I'll say, now that you've mentioned uh, Domagoj Vida, um, or Legolas, He's a character which, given the modern you know, use of computers, he's evidently been drawn from Lord of the Rings and, and put on the playing field. Now, swift of leg, he may be, um, he may be very good with a bow and arrow too, and, and sing like a demon also. Um, but boy, oh boy, my experience of him is that at uh, Euro 2016, during and after the, the Spain-Croatia game where he wasn't playing, not through suspension, I think through a minor injury because he then goes on to play in the elimination game against Portugal. He was 
sneering at people, growling at people, shouting at security agents, walking through areas where he wasn't supposed to be in his Chelsea boots and his and his blooming expensive suit. And therefore, um, yeah, I was I was so thrilled for him that he scored a header and a penalty tonight. You know, well done, Fida. Lovely man. Not. This game really was all heart. I, I wonder what the cost will be to the winner. I mean, England's heart rate early today didn't seem to spike at all in their 90-minute winner. Well, well, well look, look, okay, listen, I don't want to bite that premise off completely, but didn't you feel by the end that Deli Ali, by the time he went off, Lingard, Kane, were all a little bit leggy? Sterling too. They didn't get it for nothing, but I think if you compare that to... When the final whistle goes, Neil, you, did you look at the reaction of the England players? Every, instead of hands going in the air, every hand went on their thighs. So you're right. They, they've, you know, they've won cleanly, no extra time. It's a boost to their confidence. Their keepers play brilliantly. There's no extra time in penalties um, for Croatia. It's the second extra time in penalties in two games. I buy your argument completely, but... Phew, I I think England needed a little bit of respite. I think they needed to win in normal time. I I I, I partly say that because I think it's it was overdue. You know, in the end, Southgate brought on Dyer. I I, I was failing to understand why Rashford wasn't on sooner. Um, and and I think that while. Southgate has proven that his management method is to say thank you to players who keep delivering to him by keeping on picking him. In England's last victory, there were changes. There were players who missed out. And I, I, I just felt a little bit differently. I saw England tired and leggy, and I thought the manager was a little bit to blame for that in the, in the last 15 minutes. Maybe even 20 minutes, I, I would have said that he could have made substitutions earlier. But you're right. They they didn't sink to their knees in, in absolute exhaustion like uh, Croatia did at the end of this. Some of them barely made it to the centre circle for penalties. They looked dead in their feet. And England didn't have to deal with that emotional exhaustion of being in the lead, having it taken away from you. The flips in that game were so extreme. Three days off, do you think that's enough? Are we going to see Croatia at their sort of tournament best when they meet England on Wednesday? Well, I, I, the, the tournament best is a strange phrase because... You know when when was the last time we saw Croatia at their tournament best? Yeah, they've had one they've had one extreme highlight in this tournament, but they looked very very good that day against a team which was, you know, ragtag and bobtailed, a team which was completely dispirited, which was slow all over the park, which crumbled after the two 0 goal. And we're talking about Argentina. What I'm saying is, I genuinely think that 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 Croatia deal with something now, whether it's a lack of class beyond four or five players, whether it's a learning experience that even though it's a senior team, they they need to handle the, the pressure of tournaments differently. They're in the World Cup semi-final. This is not me being snide or negative, and I don't think you are either, but I think that I think that we could have expected more football from them against Denmark, more football from them against Russia. Those were games where if you went and looked at the odds calculators, if you went and looked at most people's opinion who follow European football, you'd have said, yeah, Croatia should have probably you know, come through by a goal the first time and maybe two the second time, and they didn't. And one of the things I, I want to do, having slagged off poor Vida, is maybe rearrange my, my long-standing assessment of Mandzukic, who you know, I've never disputed can be effective, can in certain instances be a bugger to play against. But 
you know, both the first two goals and, and Cherishev's will will live long in the memory and I'm ultra happy for him. I mentioned him in previous podcasts because he's a player of, of quality and pace. I remember the Russians um, who I met talking about saying that he was almost a surprise package for the for the mass Russian audience, not for the football fans necessarily, but because he plays abroad, because he's got this dual nationality, it, it's and because he's he's you know maybe one for the purest in that even in Spanish football he's not been a dominant figure. You can see his quality, and anybody who's unsure about Cherishev, go back to Villarreal winning one nil at Real Madrid this season at the Bernabeu, playing from their box right through to scoring at the other end, which I think is Rodri scoring, but Cherishev's role. Nodding the ball down in the penalty box as a his own penalty box as an assist to move the ball out and then his pass from the left wing it's just gorgeous football and and his goal is is a work of art but each that goal and the equaliser scored by Kramaric of Mandzukic it comes from balls played wide to the line a jump that's contested and second ball won and suddenly the team that wins the second ball has got a spare man. And I really enjoyed the way that Croatia made uh, the goal. And I thought that Mandzukic's little dink assist, when even though the, the, the striker shows him where he wants the ball, to put it in that space, off his left foot, in a tight, it's a tight space to deliver it in, and to put it perfectly for the goal, I thought was a little work of art. And I now, you know, given that overall Mandzukic has scored, I think one of my two or three favourite goals ever in a Champions League final and scored in a winning Champions League final at Wembley plus the winner in a Spanish Super Cup. You know, he's got five national titles across two major countries plus titles at home in Croatia. It's time for me to um, let go of my little bit of snark about him that he he was such a, a bad soldier for Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich, unwilling to, to be bridled into the system always chippy, always arguing with the coach. And Guardiola Sunday I said, well, you know, if I wanted to go if I wanted to go to war, I'd you know, I'd take Manzukic with me. But if I want to run a good system and a, a team that understands what I want and gives me it, then bye, you're going to Juventus. But that was another top level intervention from a footballer who is taken me a long time to like. Not appreciate, but like and therefore this is a this is a formal reprieve for you, Mr. Mandzukic, and I bet you that feels good. Let's see what Messrs. Stones and Maguire make of him on Wednesday evening. Should be fun, but for now, that's another show, folks. We'll be back before those semi-finals to look ahead to both those games, but in the meantime, please drop us a review on iTunes, and if you're the shaving kind, Gillette have sponsored our show right throughout the World Cup. In return, please... Go and let them give you £4 off your blades at trygillette.com forward slash big interview. We'll see you in a couple of days, Graham. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us to support us you'll get an extra big interview every month plus lots of other bonus content last season our members got nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart Troy Dini and Roberto Di Matteo 
So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.